Hello, I am Dr. Brandy Bowling, your triple board certified pediatrician, adult psychiatrist, and child and adolescent psychiatrist. I am also an ADHD expert, a mommy friend, a school liaison, author of the best-selling book, Shine, Understanding ADHD So Your Child Can Be a Star, and host of the Facebook live stream, Focus on It Friday. You can find me at Dr. Brandy B, that's D-R-B-R-A-N-D-I-B, on all social media platforms. Or you can call my office, which is 205-948-7129. It is my goal that all children and adults will be successful and that they will shine in the classroom and in life. Tell me a joke. Well, you know, Missouri is known as the show me state. Uh-huh. Alabama's known as the make me state. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm so happy to have you here. I completely forgot to ask you, did you bring your joke? I did. You did, did bring your joke. Then, first of all, let us start with a joke. Tell me a joke. Well, you know, Missouri is known as the show me state. Uh-huh. Alabama's known as the make me state. <laughs> Very true. Very, very <laughs> true. Um, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm trying to walk and chew bubble gum, which is impossible for me. Will you pull up your um, your bio for me right quick on your phone? Do you have it on your phone? You, don't you want have... me to tell you about myself? Okay. <laughs> Let me think about that. It's a big thing for me to, to read people's bio. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I like to do that. But <laughs> because I'm having some technical because difficulties. You just want me to kill This time. one time, <laughs> I'm going to let you tell your professional okay. bio. Okay. All right. Um, I'm originally from Kentucky. and Really? Uh-huh. Small town in Kentucky, Richmond, okay. Kentucky, and um, never really saw myself getting into politics. I mean, never. I was going to get married, have kids, you know, the whole caboodle. Uh, uh, we going to do this completely different because I'm, my ADD has kicked in, and there's no way I'm going to let you get all the way to politics from Kentucky. No, it's a without... long road. <laughs> I want to hear about the road, though. Okay. Like, what par what part of Kentucky and what was, you know... It's a small town about 30 miles south of Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. It's a college town, Eastern Kentucky University's there. Okay. Is that your family? Yeah, my dad owned an auto parts store. Okay. My, my mom was a stay-at-home working mom. Okay. Typical white privilege kind of upbringing. Went to a semi-private school. It was all white. Now, I graduated in 1973, so that right. puts this in context. Right. Um, and, you know, we had dinner at 6 o'clock, sat at the dining room table. Everybody had their seats. Yeah. Um, my dad was a photographer during World War II, and that was his passion, and he taught me photography and how to develop black and white photos and big influence in my life okay and um i married my high school sweetheart okay and um he went to after we got married he was went to architectural school uh -huh. at the university of kentucky and he was an anti-war activist this is during the vietnam, vietnam war right and we were at a drugstore one day and he bought me a copy of ms magazine he said here i want you to read it and because i was so politically naive Okay, now time out. What is Ms. Magazine? Ms. Magazine. It was it was the feminist magazine of the time. Okay. Gloria Steinem. Gotcha. All those folks. Gotcha. So I read it from cover to cover. I was so pissed off when I got done reading it. I've been pissed off ever since, I think. <laughs> but that got me engaged in 
the women's movement. Uh-huh. And uh, started a local chapter of the National Organization for Women, started the state chapter, then was recruited to go work in their office in D.C. for about three years where I helped chapters organize and learn how to run meetings and talk to the press and um, loved it. But I was gone a lot, I traveled all over the country. Mm-hmm. And this isn't luxurious travel. Let me say I stayed with members right slept on a lot of couches right know, um and had some really horrible experiences but now, time um, out time out just quickly i want you to go into that because people think organizing is so glamorous and it's so <laughs> this that and the other but it's a whole bunch of you know cramming in apartments and sleeping yes. on couches and um and you never know who you're going to interact with exactly I mean, so I had some very weird experiences. Now, come on, give husband, us a weird I, I one. I will. My okay. husband and I had divorced okay. before this. And, okay. Um, so I moved to DC and traveled, and just, you know, you have a lot of funny stories. One was a woman picked me up at the airport. I think this was in Rhode Island. We were doing a leadership conference the next day, and we get in the car, and she says, Oh, I just have to tell you that I had to commit my partner today. Um, to alcohol rehab program and she can let herself out so she might show up and I'm thinking oh great you know <laughs> sure enough she did oh and they wow. had a big old fight and luckily I had an American Express card don't know how I got one and I pulled it out I said take me to the nearest hotel and she's like no 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 we'll be fine we'll be fine I said no you don't understand right <laughs> um so lots of things like but I've met an, a lot of incredible people, a lot of activists. And yeah. um, this was at the end of the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment. So I became very passionate about that and okay. actually came out when I was in D.C., met somebody from Alabama. Alabama was not on my target, you know. Yeah, that's <laughs> all right. That answered it because yeah. I was like, I cannot wait to hear how you winded yep. up here. Yeah. So I moved to Alabama. Couldn't get a job because everything, the first, last thing on my resume was the National Organization for Women. And this is like the mid-80s. Uh, mid yeah. Didn't open many doors for no, me. No, no. But that's where I met Bill Baxley, who was lieutenant governor at the time. Yeah. I was lobbying against a parental notification bill on abortion. He was lieutenant governor. Okay. And somebody said, you need to go talk to him because he'll kill it in committee. So, I, you know, and if you've ever met Bill, he's got this wicked Southern accent. And so I go in his office and explain what I do. He says, don't worry, we'll kill it. And I said, I'm sorry, but I don't know you, and I don't know that I could trust you. And, you know, and he just looks at me and says, just watch. So um, I, that's how I cut my teeth on Alabama politics. So when he decided to run for governor— he called me. He said, I want you to come work on my ca- paid campaign staff. Okay. So I did. And I met everybody, mm-hmm. you know, even though we lost that election. That's a whole different story. But um, he really taught me a lot. And um, so when I decided to run, never, ever thought about running for office. Um, I completed a bachelor's degree at Kentucky before I moved to Alabama. I went back and got my master's degree at UAB in public administration. Great program. Go Blazers. And um, so I had been involved in the Democratic Party, was on the state Democratic Executive Committee, worked in many campaigns, you know, and it was uh, an open seat. Now, the district at that point was majority black. Mm -hmm. I was openly gay. Mm -hmm. And everybody was saying, you don't have a shot to win this seat. Are you kidding? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't about winning. It was about being part of the conversation. Right. And poverty reduction was my passion. Mm-hmm. And I believe that you have to work at the grassroots to reduce poverty by understanding where people come from and give them opportunities. And um, so I talked to a lot of people. Uh, Baxley was included and I go talk to him. And he said, you know, I'll give you a donation. I think you'd be great. He said, but I don't think you have a chance of winning. And I looked at him and said, just watch. <laughs> <laughs> and so there were four other people in the race, and um, it was brutal. Yeah. Uh, campaigning is hard work, <laughs> hard work. But that campaign 
was brutal. It was brutal. There was a lot of it smears and attacks, ugly. and it yeah. was. I, you know, I knew these people who were attacking me didn't know me, mm-hmm. and that I would go to many uh, majority black meetings, and they'd sort of look at me like, "What are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I want to tell you what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to help build these communities." Yeah, I realize I come from white privilege, you know, and I'm not coming in here telling you what you need to do. We have to work together. But here's some ideas I have. And um, so we campaigned hard. I went everywhere. I wasn't afraid of an invitation. I debated. But I always stuck to my message, and I don't believe in going negative. Never went negative, Mm -hmm. even though one of my opponents went negative on me and had a smear campaign. Um, and actually called me bull digger. And I, I got that, and everybody in the game goes, what is a bull digger? And I'm like, I don't know. But when I gave my uh, – when I was sworn in and gave a little speech, I said, you know, and it said, you know, they've called me many names, including bull digger, but now they'll have to call me representative. And um, as you know, we uh, went into a runoff. Yeah. Between me and Gaynell Hendricks, who's a delightful person. I've, I've always been fond of her. Mm-hmm. And um, then um, at the runoff, that was a brutal six-week campaign, let me tell you. Ooh. Yeah. And um, the night of the election, um, we noticed that my home precinct looked like it was under-reporting and reporting that Gaynell had won that precinct. Mm-hmm. So we started to question those numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out in... Uh, voting booths, there's two, like, SIM cards. One's the test cards. One's the act- where they actually votes are. Mm-hmm. And they put in the test card instead of the real votes. So when they put the real one in, my numbers bumped way up. Well, they accused uh, my campaign manager of exchanging a SIM card. He wouldn't know a SIM card if it hit him in the face. <laughs> right. He couldn't even text on his phone, for goodness sake. So, right. Anyway, so they challenged the election to the party. We go into this brutal legal battle, um, and it was it went to the full state executive committee. I remember. Yeah, it we was, won by like seven votes, I think. Yeah, and it was just the, the whole thing was just crazy it is, from start it was, to finish. It was, yeah. but you know, I kept a positive attitude. I was like, things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. Yeah, if I'm supposed to do this, it's going to work out. Yeah, and had tons of supporters in that room mm-hmm. when they were going to vote on it. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was uh, a life challenge. Yeah. But getting yeah. elected, I never, you know, when I got married and I was in college, I never had any ambition to run for, because first of all, I never thought anybody would vote for me. Right. Uh, but you learn so much. You learn about messaging and listening to people trying to find a common thread. It stretches you. It, well, it does. And yeah. I was exhausted, yeah. exhausted. Well, you know, and it got national attention because I was the first openly gay elected official. Mm-hmm. And um, so the minute I walked in that state house, the first time, everybody knew who I was. Of course. Everybody knew who I was. Of course. And um, which, you know, put a real spotlight on me. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm sure they thought I was going to go down there and beat him over the head with a gay flag, but that would have accomplished nothing. Now, this is when the Democrats control the legislature. That's right. Um, although calling them Democrats is a, you know, they weren't <laughs> the strongest Democrats. Right. And, um, but, you know, my whole service in the legislature, I never had anybody say anything sideways to me or anything. Really? Never. Never, never. Now, that says a lot Mm -hmm. because I think in today's climate, I don't know if it would be so – if they would be so respectful. Well, I think part of it is we're Southerners. Yeah. So we don't talk – we're not that nasty. Yeah, but look at what happened in Tennessee. Well, true. (laughs) I mean, that's a whole other thing. But – and now I look back on it, people say, you were just kind of the poke the bear kind of legislator, which was true. Yeah. And I I cannot stand hypocrisy. Yeah. So when I saw people being hypocrites, yeah, I would call them out on it, but I'd do it in a funny way. 
Yeah. And so they would like sort of smile and go, okay, you're right. You know? Yeah, yeah. And um, that's how I maneuvered through. I mean, yeah. I didn't pass many bills. I stopped some things from happening uh-huh. because Mike Hubbard was Speaker of the House after mm-hmm. 2010. Now, t- let me, hold on. We'll finish. Finish first. And he was a business Republican mm-hmm. and realized that Alabama already had a bad reputation around the country and that we didn't need to pile on right. by attacking gay people. Now, so, let me throw this at you. I'm glad you, you told this story in the way you did. People have terrible memories, mm-hmm. particularly Democrats. <laughs> um, it was, I'm glad you brought up that Democrats owned the legislature. Yes. A lot of people don't remember. We had the legislature. We the had the executive the branch. Executive branch. The just. And back then, I I was still volunteering and this and the other, but I was developing ideas. And I remember saying to my dad, why don't they ever compromise? The Democrats. I was why don't they ever compromise? And I, I, I remember, and I remember Republicans like Mike Hubbard, Republicans like um, Mitch McConnell, Republicans saying, we're going to pay you back. Oh, yeah. Do you not remember that? I mean, it was unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, but but nobody wants to remember that we were that body. We were We could have removed the tax on groceries. Yes. We could have done with constitutional reform. Yes. They didn't do any of that. It was safe maneuvering. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and that's the problem is they don't talk to each other. Um, It's so divisive now, much worse than I was there. Much worse. And um, they really do not. It's like the Republicans have a supermajority. Democrats don't even have to show up for them to pass a bill. Right. You know, so they just plow through with whatever they want to do. Right. Um, and it, it, it pains me that they introduce bills on issues they really don't know anything about. You know, it's obviously the transgender community has been under attack all over the country. Mm-hmm. And when I've talked to legislators, I've said, do you know a trans person? No. Have you ever met a trans person? No. And it's like throwing red meat to their constituents. Oh, Mm -hmm. look, we're going to, you know, marginalize this community. You know, it's like what they did to LGBTQ folks Mm -hmm. before we won marriage equality Mm -hmm. in 15. And I said that day, I said, count my, mark my words, the next group is going to be trans people. And that's what happened. And we're still fighting that battle. Um, and it's because people don't understand. Yeah. Um, they don't They don't want to understand. Right. You know. And we're going to talk about that. Good. And we're going to talk about that. But before, um, I got one more thing for you, and that is not saying you've made any Bad decisions. Oh, I've made plenty. (laughs) (laughs) But choose an age, go back to that age, tell me how old you were, and what advice you would give yourself. Like mine is, one of mine is always like, I wish I had gone to a different um, undergrad. Hmm. Like I, I wish, you know, not to say it changed anything, but I just wish I had made a different decision at that crossroads. Give us one for you. Oh, that's hard. (laughs) Um, You know, I I never planned my life. I Mm. just sort of rode upon me. Reacted to everything, yeah. And when opportunities presented itself, I jumped in. Um, I don't know. I'd probably, I guess one thing is um, I wish I had gone to law school um, because I love I obviously love politics, and yeah. I like the policy-making piece of it. And, right. You know, if I had a law degree, that would help me understand that a little bit better. But, you know, I, I'm sort of one of those, yes, if I've made mistakes, yes, I have. But it makes me who I am. That's I right. wouldn't be at this point, at this time in my life, if I had not made those mistakes. That's right. You know. That's right. And I made a couple in the legislature. And, you know, some one very serious one. That mm. I regret to this day. Yeah. Uh, and that was on um, 
the School Voucher Accountability Act. Oh, yeah. That set up um, for school vouchers. Now, I've trusted the wrong people. And the bill that came to the House, I thought was okay. You know, I believe, um, but I believe public schools should have that option too. Mm -hmm. So it came to the House, and we had to have 63 affirmative votes to bring the bill to the floor. And, of course, all the Republicans were in favor of it. So the speaker left the voting on, you know, long time. And mm. all the Republicans had voted, and I hit the yes button to bring it to the floor. Mm. And we passed it. It went to the Senate. And then, it, long story short, it went to a conference committee. They completely rewrote the bill. What was a three-page bill became a 36-page bill. Nobody had time to read it. Before and I voted no when it came back to the house, but it was that was a decision I regret. You know, yeah, I really regret that, and it it drew an opponent into my next race (laughs) because it it got a big donation from AEA. It was only money he raised, Um, so they were pretty mad at me, and they should have been, you know. Yeah, but I never knew the story behind. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I tried to explain that on the campaign trail that you know, yes, I made a mistake. I yeah. regret that. You yeah. know, um, and I should have stuck to my gut instinct mm-hmm. and and listened to the people that I really trusted, and I didn't. Mm. So that was a, a real learning experience. Legion FC is back for season five. Birmingham's very own professional soccer team kicks off its next home game on Sunday, April 30th at 4 p.m. at Protective Stadium versus the Hartford Athletic. To come to a game and support the team and its players from places like Ghana, Jamaica, Brazil, and all over the U.S. on their quest to win a championship, check out bhmlegion.com, at bhmlegion on social media, or of course, the Legion FC app to get tickets and find more information. Hammer down. What's your favorite charity? Magic City Acceptance Center. Mm, tell us about Magic City Acceptance. It's an affiliate of Birmingham AIDS Outreach. It is a youth center for those uh, identified as LGBTQ+. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives them a safe place um, to meet other friends. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous um, place. And it's you know, it saved a lot of kids' lives who, you know, because suicide is a big, can be a big issue in youth, amongst youth queer, mm-hmm. especially if they're not in an accepting family or school. Mm-hmm. And this place really gives them, you know, a safe place. So it is my favorite. I'm also very fond of the Humane Society, too. I was listening to a gentleman on... NPR last night, he wrote a book about um, suicidal ideation, and he was talking about that is the largest group that faces that challenge. Yes. And so... um, Because you're so isolated. Sure. You know, unlike another ethnicity or race or religion, usually... Your family is of the same entity. Sure. But when you come out as gay to your family, I know a lot of people who their, you know, family wouldn't speak to them anymore. They weren't invited to family events. My mother went through a difficult time Mm -hmm. uh, when I came out. You know, she was convinced just because I got divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, then people would say things to me like, well, you know, this is a choice. Mm-hmm. Who would choose to be gay? Right. You know? Right. Um, it's just about living your authentic life, and that's what... Um, We're going to come back to that, of course. <laughs> but if you don't answer one of these questions, well, you uh, have to make a donation. Okay. But I'll, they're easy. You're, you're yeah. going to... Uh, okay. All right. Don't try to test my knowledge on something. Oh, no, 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 no. They, they're this or that question. Oh, okay. They're fun. Okay. Let's start with the the most important question in our state. <laughs> okay. Alabama or Auburn? Auburn. 
Boo! Get out! Get out! Get out! <laughs> Look, I graduated from Kentucky. I know, but, but when you cross in, you gotta make. You gotta decide. I'm, I'll respect the decision. The Birmingham Legion or the Birmingham Stallions? <laughs> I don't know that I know the difference. The Legion they, is soccer. They, oh. The Stallions is football. Um, soccer. Okay. Birmingham Barons baseball. I know them. Or Birmingham Squadron basketball. The Barons. All right. My wife's uh, father was a general manager for the Barons back when they were trying to integrate. Really? They had a cross What's bird in their yard. Um, West. His last name's West. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Sloss Furnace or Vulcan Park? I had to say Vulcan. Okay. Birmingham Zoo or McWayne Science Center? The zoo. Crossplex or Legion Field? That's hard. I finally got one. I'd have to say Legion Field. Okay. Protective Stadium or Legacy Arena? I have mixed feelings about both of those, but I'll say protective. Okay. Botanical Gardens or Railroad Park? Railroad Park. Regions Park or Rickwood Field? Rickwood Field. iPhone or Android? Oh, iPhone. <laughs> I love the way you Mac said it. Mac all the way. <laughs> Apple products. What's your zodiac sign? Leo. Leo, what does that mean? It means I'm the I'm the sort of the king of my domain. Okay. Um, they're very outgoing. Okay. You know, like to sit back and have people come and wait on them. <laughs> My friends would say, yes, that's 100% right. 100%, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Now, back to, I want I want to set this up, right? We're about to bring old Joseph in this conversation. I want to set this up. I, I, I feel I came up with the best analogy that I could, right? Okay. Now. I feel the debate about transgender and, you know, all of these issues, for me, is best likened to Santa Claus. <laughs> okay. Right. Because the class, the, the children's class, first grade, second grade, third grade, is all held hostage by the kid that doesn't believe in Santa Claus. And he fucks it up for everybody. <laughs> right? And so people get to be like, well, damn it, we just won't talk about <laughs> Christmas. We won't talk about Santa Claus. Right? <laughs> I feel that that's how, that I feel that way about conversations of sexuality. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're all held hostage by the kid that knows everything and can he wants to talk about this and this goes here and da da and me in my household I don't want my children talking about that yet now in fairness to me mind you I don't want my kids talking about boy girl 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 boy I, none of it I I I feel as though I have to have conversations that traditionally and in, in my little conservative household, we don't, we don't talk like that yet. So that is how I want to present my side, right? As we talk about, <laughs> as we talk about Joseph's uh, story and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the topic as in general, I I kind of dig the bill. I dig the bill because it gives parents some some type of um, authority, if you will. I just wanted to say that we'll go deeper, but first. Let's talk about what is I what in the hell is I even talking about? <laughs> tell us. Tell us, Joseph. Tell us about your story. All right, all right. 
Hello, everybody. Hey, Ava, good to see you. Hey, man. Patricia, good to see you as well. Um, I think what we're talking about is the, the legislation and the pending in the uh, House of Representatives that we talked about a few weeks ago. Right. From Representative uh, Kenneth Pascal, Rep- Republican of Shelby County, uh, what he called uh, the uh, what is it, the pa- parents' uh, bi- pr- pr- parental, parental rights bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but now you mentioned what the bill, but you said the bill does. It doesn't say that in the legislation. No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm just yeah. <laughs> okay, but, okay, right, okay, okay, okay. But the bill is very short. It talks about fortifying the the stance on family values and be and be protect proactive, not reactive, and protect citizens of Alabama. Government overreach regarding parental rights. This is a quote from him. A pre-filed bill, HB uh, 6, to codify the fundamental rights of parents, Pascal said. My bill is a common-sense bill that is premised on on almost 100 years of Supreme Court precedent that recognizes parental rights as a fundamental right. And he goes on, says uh, the uh, parents have the first rights of, uh, uh, of, of what's best for their children and the strongest protection for their children. So that's what he says the bill is supposed to do in the legislature. However, he goes on to say the bill does not uh, change any existing laws, but just sets a, makes a statement of uh, parental rights within the state of Alabama. Should any other laws change, this is our, our overarching uh, statement of parental rights in our state. And since you wrote it, it has blown up. Really not. In a, in a national, I'm saying on the national scene. And please, it you know, tell us what's sure. going on in other states and how this basically mirrors and mimics bills in other places and what else? You sure, sure. Um, well, Alabama is joining a national, as the story says, is joining a national trend, uh, primarily in Republican-leaning states, that uh, that's instead of seizing on the issue of uh, parental rights or, 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 or the rights of ed- educational rights for parents for their children. Um, Alabama, uh, I know, and, and even in Congress, there's a, a, a pr- proposed constitutional amendment by Representative Debbie Lesko, a Republican uh, congresswoman from uh, from Arizona, who talks about the same thing. Her bill is essentially uh, verbatim to Alabama's bill, and there have been several bills uh, that have that have passed. Again, uh, Republican-leaning states. A lot of those bills, as you know, uh, were written by Alec, which is the uh, help me find the. Uh, American Legislative Exchange Council. That's exactly right. Right. So Alec Alec uh, gives these these bills a national, uh, more conservative leaning organization uh, that that proposes these bills these uh these draft bills that legislators can look up and kind of rip and read and, mm-hmm. and, and introduce uh, according to what they need. So Alec these Alec bills, particularly when it comes to parental rights, are really manifesting throughout legislat- legislatures throughout the state of throughout the, throughout the country primarily Republican-leaning states. And it has made its way, the same Alec bill, onto the uh, the House floor right now. And I wanted to know two things. Number one, what is really going on, if you will? You know <laughs> what I mean? Because it's like, okay, we know what the bill says. We know what the talking points are. But what are they really trying to get at? And, you know, how does that impact the communities that you serve. Well, it's it. it uh, let me just speak. It, oh, this is and, a terribly... and, and let me set this up one last okay. thing. No one can accuse me of not getting the farthest person. <laughs> <laughs> the from my, you know what I'm saying. Nobody can say I I, I have an echo chamber here because we're yeah. about to get it right now. Well, and that, it's a. It's a and I appreciate your opening comments about, I don't know how old your kids are, but, sure. um, you know, this is not a well-written bill. And it says nothing but says everything, sort of. I mean, it talks about, you know, the Supreme Court, you know, and this precedent. I, I would like to see the Supreme Court decisions that he's talking about, you know. Mm. But here's what happens in Alabama when legislation is drafted. They don't have to necessarily list the facts, <laughs> right? Um, and so it says <laughs> the facts are whatever you want. Exactly. Them to be. The United States Supreme Court provides that fit, fit parents. Who defines fit? Mm-hmm. You know, I may think your parenting style is cray cray. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the first thing. But it also says would provide that the government may not burden certain fundamental rights of parents unless the burden is narrowly tailored to a compelling state interest. 
What does that mean? Okay. And here's my criticism of this. And I'm, I'm going to go where I think they're trying to go with this. Okay. Last year or the year before, the legislature passed a bill to ban gender-affirming care for youth. Y'all may remember this, mm-hmm. okay? That, you know, even under medical care with par- uh, parental consent, that kids can't get gender-affirming care. Mm-hmm. Even though every medical society says this is perfectly fine, medically accurate, you know, whatever. Okay, this obviously goes against the parental rights of those children Mm. to get gender-affirming care. So Mm. remember when I talked about I don't like hypocrites? Right. I don't like like that. Where they're trying to get to, and it's a dangerous road they're building, is that I have a right as a parent to make a decision about what my child learns in school or where my child goes to health care. Um, you know, we have a board of education and a department of education that develops curriculum. What if I'm, I mean, what if I'm a racist and say, I don't want my child to learn anything about black history or celebrate black history month. Well, Well, that would be my right under this bill. And that's where, that's where I thought the bill, you know, that's because, you know, we all have selfish interests. So that's, what I saw in the bill, well, right? In a, in another, but I hadn't even thought about the gender-affirming care to be There's, honest. you know, and we also have the bill on divisive concepts, mm-hmm. you know, that they don't, you know, critical race theory, which is not taught in the public schools. It's only really taught in law schools. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't describe critical race theory if they tried. Um, but, you know, they don't want kids to learn. Uh, their argument is... I don't want my child to feel bad because they're white, because of what our ancestors did in the past. That's not what critical race theory is about. Well, let me play devil's advocate. Okay. All right. Because here again, this is one of those that I look at like Santa Claus, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want. Let me say this. I don't want the teachers that taught me history teaching my children history. Well, they chose. It, they they knew. You know, I'm a, I'm a little older, right? And I'm older they than knew, you. Right, but I'm just reminding. <laughs> they knew. They chose to teach a certain version. Yeah, it's the white version. They chose to teach the white version. Now, the white version, the black version, the brown version, the yellow version, no version of history helps the poor people that I see. Exactly. I don't where I'm going with this is if I don't if I can't really trust that my children are being taught a true objective history well, hell, shit, can it? Because it's not helping the kid that's uh, at the um, at the cash register at at at, at Captain D's anyway. Yeah, you, you know, know what I'm saying. So I can kind of, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate no, no. here. I'm just you know, like, okay, if we're not going, if we can't be objective, I'm like, well, to be honest, we don't really need it. Our kids need to to um. Our kids need to, um, they need math at that age. They need to read at that age. Our children are not reading at grade level and we're, and we're arguing about CRT. I'm, I'm, here again, I'm just throwing things out there. No, I totally agree with you. The thing about um, objective look at history is, you know, we have this fond notion that um, Native Americans and <laughs> that we that's all got great, together for Thanksgiving and had this wonderful meal. That's a great. Well, that's not exactly how it happened, right? Okay? Or uh, the Christopher Columbus discovered America. How do you discover a place where people were already living? Correct. Okay. But what I think is important, and the guy who wrote the introduction to critical race theory actually was a law professor at Alabama. Believe it or mm-hmm. not, he's run out of the state, by the way, but. Um, what he helped me understand is 
you look at history, we only see one perspective of history, and that's white history. Sure. Okay. Now, we might learn about, you know, uh, Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, but just a mention. We don't look at, you know, white men went to Africa and kidnapped a whole bunch of people and brought them over here to work in their fields. Okay? Um, It's sort of towed differently, obviously, in history. But, and I'll give you an example. Um, Brown versus Board of Education, the desegregated public schools. And um, what actual critical race theory does is sort of look behind the scenes at what was going on at that moment in time and why they did that. It's like, why did LBJ sign the Civil Rights Act? Now, hold on, hold your thought. This is perfect. Because I feel that this is a college-level conversation. It is. You know what I mean? But like, I, 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 I think that, yes, we do need to be discussing that. But our kids aren't reading. They don't know math. So why are we talking about this so young? So, to me, I kind of dig uh, um, Pascal's bill. You know what I'm saying? Because here again... It's giving it's it's giving me rights again. It's it's giving me rights to say through my representatives and whatnot. I don't want that taught at that grade level. Now, when when if if my kids can read and they, or they got a trade, they're looking towards college. They're looking towards the military. Yeah, you know, they need to know history because they're moving farther in life and they're 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 pursuing different things. But kids. Do they need to be discussing sexuality, uh, critical race theory, and these things? No, of course not. No, not in elementary school. Of course not. But um, the thing, I believe when you bring diverse, not divisive, but diverse opinions into a discussion, it helps kids improve their own critical thinking skills. It's like one of the things that I've, I'm a big advocate for is the humanities mm-hmm. in schools, which we've practically, you know, removed. That helps kids read a story, understand, and, and sort of develop their own critical thinking around right. this. Um, and I, you know, I, I love the arts, and um, I was never good in science or math or English. Um, and I think that you can teach. Reading also does begin at home. I sure. mean, parents that read to their kids with books, they do much better. Trust but you me, know that's what? a whole different. Yeah, but um, it's like, here's what I fear, is this comes from a place of um, – I don't want my kids to learn about certain parts of history. That's it. That's exactly what it is. But like my parent, number one, I think we put teaching, we put education, be it sex education. I mean, literal birds and bees as a parents. We don't teach our kids enough. We don't sit and read with them. We don't. You know, our kids go to school not prepared to put a square into a square hole and a round into a round. I get it. And and I'm not blaming and I parents. Am, well, I am. Okay. And, <laughs> and, and the thing is, yes, we do need critical thinking. It can't all just be math. I, I agree with the humanities, the arts. I think, but that is way more important, in my opinion, as a 53-year-old with kids and kind of having looked at life and, it, you know, what are they going to need at this age and that age? And I'm sorry, but I just don't know that in my conservative mind that I can't support something like this. Now, let me – I want to throw something out there real quick that you will remember. I was first – I was angry at this bill at first. You know why? Because it doesn't have the teeth. Why did why did Kenneth Pascal originally come to the legislature to fight for non-custodial parents? Did he not? He did. He and that's what I've been behind him for years. So I was a little ticked off at this bill because it didn't give me what I wanted over there on that side. 
Mm-hmm. But then after I thought about it, I was like, well, I'm not going to kick this out because I kind of dig it too, but I don't want him to forget why he went down. There. Yeah. So I wanted to throw all that out there so you could address it all. Yeah, well, I, I uh, it just, this and bill is so problematic. It's so problematic in so many levels because we don't know how far this could go. And we don't know what a fit parent means. Uh, who's going to make that determination? Um, and, you know, w- one thing we do believe in this country is that every child has should have access to first-class quality public education. Okay? Yes. They do not. We all know it depends on your zip code. That's true. And um, that we've got kids coming to school that are hungry because they don't have enough food at home. They're coming to, you know, they're in a family maybe where there's only one parent. Um, I mean, I'll share this conversation I had with Mike Hubbard when he was speaker. I passed a bill to establish the Alabama Commission to Reduce Poverty. And I was in his office one day. He says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He says, every time I'm in Montgomery, I have to drive through the housing projects, as he put it, to get to the nice restaurant, which is true. And I said, yeah, I know. He says, every time I do... There's a couple of guys just standing out on the corner, just just hanging out, all times of day. I said, yes, sir. I have five public housing communities in my district. I, I, I know that. He said, hesitated for a minute. He goes, why don't they just get a job? Now, you'll hear that a lot from, from people. You hear that a lot from me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then I'm going to tell you what my response was. Mm-hmm. I don't know those guys, but I know a lot of guys like them. Let's look at where they're coming from. They live in public housing. They probably have one parent. They may live with their grandmother, okay? And particularly for males, this is true, that um, they don't have a role model. They go to a substandard school. It's the survival of the fittest, and we see this in the um, gun violence going on in Birmingham. And that's their association, and um, he said, well, they're probably out there dealing drugs. And I said, well, they might be, but let me tell you something I know about drug dealers. They're the best entrepreneurs I know. They know where the need is. They know how to get it there. And, you know, and I said, do you want them to go get a job? Well, first of all, you assume that they have access to transportation, and that's not always true. And second when of all— When you were having this conversation, it was not true, but now it is. But go ahead. Well, and it's sporadic at best. And anyway, yes, we've made huge improvements. But I said, you you want him to go work at McDonald's and make minimum wage. And he sort of shook his head. And I said, you own a corporation. You own a big business. Why don't you hire these guys? Oh, no. You know, and he sort of realized what he said. He said, okay, you've made my point. You've made your point. I, I get it. You know, you have to, you can't blame people. It's like I was having a conversation with somebody today at City Hall about the gun violence mm-hmm. issue. And it's not just one thing that leads to gun violence. It's mm-hmm. multiple things. Um, you know, we too many guns on the street. We have the loosest gun laws in the country. I'm not blaming the guns, but it's pretty easy to get a gun if you want one. And I had a bill after I realized I couldn't fight the NRA. Um that I was going to introduce a bill to raise uh, the prices of ammunition. You can have all the guns you want. You're just going to pay out the wazoo for the bullets I, in the gun. I actually liked that idea. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I really did. So, um, you know, it's you, this isn't going to change overnight. This is going to take decades. It took us decades to get here. Um, you've got to start teaching kids about negotiation and conflict resolution about um, you don't have to pull out a... I mean, let's look at the University of Alabama basketball team, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, that I was horrified, and it was all over a woman. It was so unnecessary, mm-hmm. and it's ruined that guy's... A bright future has just been shattered because he chose at least a three. weapon. At, yeah. le- at least three young men... Yep, and that young lady and her family. Yep, all ruined. Yeah, I mean, you were, I, every time I go on AL dot com in the morning, it's another shooting somewhere. You know, you you can't just lock everybody up. 
You have got to start looking at long-term solutions, working with communities. You know, there's a program, I think it's in Philadelphia, I can't remember where, and there's a there's an organization here called Growing Kings. Oh, I love. Yeah, I do too. Kings. Yeah. I do too, because Mark Carson. Yeah, they yeah, go into middle about. schools. You know where the hormones are raging, whatever, and work with young boys mm-hmm. and teach them everything from yes sir, no sir, how to tie a tie, um, and prepare them for the next stage of their life. Okay, but now every child should have that opportunity. I agree, but now what about the ones that slip through? There are now, a lot let that me, slip let through. Me, let me say, first, I believe in um, survival of the fittest to the point of it'll make you cringe. Because, yeah, I do believe that. Let them kill all each other off. You know? Um, but you're who, a Christian, would, aren't you? I am so de- such a devout Christian. <laughs> <laughs> now here's now here no seriously here's the thing, um, I believe in giving help wherever help is wanted, wherever help is desired, wherever is craved, needed, but I'm not trying to force help on anybody that doesn't want to be helped, and those guys at the corner don't want to be helped. Too often, in my opinion, in my opinion, like Mike Hubbard was talking about those guys. Yes. You know what I mean? Who happened to be black. Right. Now, people like you, people like Eric, want to paint pictures of, well, what about maybe they're, no, you know they're not. You know they're just standing there because this makes more money than the minimum wage job. Yeah, well, you know, I'm not even making them drug I'm not even making them drug dealers. I'm not doing all that. I'm saying just the beggar, right? And see me, I believe in there are programs, organizations, all this kind of stuff. And if your sicknesses or your issues are such that you you don't want this help, then I think my tax de- dollars are being thrown away if you just throwing money after that. What do you say? I mean, what do you... Well, because it still has an impact on our communities and society. You're going to pay for it one way or another. And I'm not talking about going in and forcing people into programs because that doesn't work. Let's look at drug rehab, for example. You can't force people into drug rehab. They have to be ready. But you can do things... And those are the people things. that I think need to just go on and die off. But they won't die by themselves. The problem is, you said them kill, let them kill each other. The bullet's not going to know where it's going. Mm-hmm. So while they mm-hmm. are shooting each other, the I don't mean just by hit you. No, too. no, no. What I'm saying is, I don't mean they don't have guns, dude. They don't. They're too poor for guns. I'm. Okay. We're, we're talking about dip. I'm talking about people who just, you know. I'm I'm talking about the ones who just don't do nothing. I'm not talking about mental illness. We need to have outreach programs, and you know we can't just send them to jail. No, you know, we, we cannot. We can't just send we them can't. to jail. And we don't have enough mental health services in communities. Uh, they're not well funded. They're you know um, not well regulated. Um, you, you know, street outreach is, very, you know, developing relationships with people who are on the edge uh, to get them to trust you and talk to you and don't force something on them, but give them options. I mean, and see, I think that is for 501c3. Well, that's true. Not tax dollars. I think well, I think there's a difference. I, I, all you, I'm saying we, is there's a limit to what tax dollars can do and if we keep putting stuff on it oh taxes need to pay for this taxes need to pay for that they can't pay for the things i think they should do like our elderly i don't want my tax dollars paying for some 20 something to 40 something to 50 something i want them to pay for the 60 to 70 to 80 something i don't want my tax dollars uh going after you know, the dredges of society. I, I want them helping sick people. I don't want my tax dollars go to Amazon and Walmart and, you know, other profitable corporations that don't pay a living wage, but we've given $8 billion in economic tax incentives 
since the since the 80s. We, here's my rationale. We have a low unemployment rate in Alabama. It's about 2%. Now, I don't like the way we, you know, measure unemployment because if you've never been on unemployment insurance, you don't count. But we got low. And if you're on it too long, they kick you off. Yes. <laughs> and these manufacturers cannot find workers. So they do like Hyundai did. They get immigrant children into their factories. I'm so to glad work. you reminded me of that. Please tell that story of what's going on. Well, Hyundai, which we know is a large car manufacturer in um, in Montgomery, and received two hundred thirty five million dollars in economic tax incentives, if my memory corrects me. And they have a solely owned subsidiary in uh, um, I think it's Livingston, Alabama, small small town. And um, there are about 300 employees that, I don't know, make windshields or something for them. And the police were called, the local police were called by a father who said, my child is missing. Um, And they located the child. In the course of conversation, they found out this kid was working in this Hyundai subsidiary. And she was like 13, missing Uh with somebody that was like 20-something. Anybody would be like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> right. Somebody knew something on the inside to get this kid in. And um, and it's not just Hyundai. This happens in a lot of manufacturing. When the Department of Labor is starting to do a lot of more research. But um, And so Hyundai's response was, when they were confronted with it, said, well, we just won't do business with this subsidiary anymore. It's your subsidiary (laughs) or we'll just shut it down what happens to the 300 workers that are there they all use temp agencies which are very predatory um so the company can say we didn't know that person was working in the factory you know um and it it, you know obviously this is something i'm passionate about but here's my my point if if legislators cared about children which they think they do do something about Hyundai and claw back those incentives so children are protected from dangerous situations. That sounded like a commercial, didn't it? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Joseph, what you got? Patricia sounds uh, sort of like uh, Alan Tharp, uh, the chairman of political science at Miles College. <laughs> In the story, he yep. said, uh, you, you know, you know uh-huh. what he said was the bill, although very small, has broad implications because, mm-hmm. it's, because it's not specific at all. So it's broad interpretations. Like you said, you're talking about educating the kids and leaving history out. You're talking about, you know, LGBTQ plus issues. You know, so it could be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And according to Dr. Tharp, that's the danger in a bill like this because it's too nebulous and can just be interpreted in any kind of way. So... So I guess you're both right. The bill is whatever, whatever, it is, whatever you want. You talk about Santa yeah, Claus. It's Santa exactly. Claus bill. It's whatever you want it to be. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's so broad. I mean, just think of the Second Amendment. We still can't even really agree what the Second Amendment says. Can you imagine if this passes? Well, here's my my only thoughts on the Second Amendment are they had no idea no. machine guns were coming. <laughs> Well, like, you have to put it in the court. Well, that's the important thing is you have to realize where we were in that point in yeah, history to understand like, why they, they had muskets, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but then Tharp also said a point, kind of what you brought up too. He said they tend to blame us educators as trying to harm their children. Most first and second and third grade teachers, like you said, are trying to teach students how to add and how to write. They don't have the time in the day to talk about gender or gay rights. Yeah, and they don't talk about it, for goodness You know, sake. so you, know, you said being age-appropriate. Oh, Tharp which, was saying most of the most teachers are age-appropriate in their history and their reading, writing, and arithmetic. I mean, it's just basic skills they're trying to teach their kids. Of course, I'm having you both back ASAP <laughs> to talk about this and more. But I do want to close on the school you were talking about. Like, for example, I think that that school is important because I, not as a – outcast type thing but they do need to talk about those things you know what I'm saying like it gives them a social outlet that they wouldn't have it's a center it's not a school now there is a school 
the Magic City Acceptance oh, Academy. Oh, okay. See, that's what I thought yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, there are two about. different yeah. entities. One's a center for youth. The other one is a school. Well, I think both of them are perfect. I support helping So you're going to make children. a donation to them and my... You got me down. You, you got me. Hey, you got me. That way I can put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> um, but these and so many other issues, they're just not cut and dry. They're not black and white. They, no, they're so nuanced. They're not. And I, But I do think it's important, you know, as many more people have come out of the closet and many more families have a family member or a friend or somebody they go to church with or a neighbor, the kids... you. You have conversations at the earliest level you can to talk to them about, you know, not everybody um, is like mommy and daddy. Sometimes there's two mommies or there's two daddies. And you know what? I, I know a lot of gay couples that have been raising children, and I'm, I'm just, it, that's their whole life. These kids have a wonderful experience. Now, it's so much different than when I came out in my 20s. Obviously, that was 40-something years ago. Um, but we are everywhere. And, you know, I, I always said when we were debating the whole thing about marriage equality, what does my right to marry somebody have anything to do with your marriage? doesn't take anything away from you. You know, that still boggles my mind. Hey, this is Dr. Cree. I am a board-certified family medicine physician, and I'm the owner of Brownstone Healthcare, where our mission is to take care of the everyday person who's overwhelmed and overworked and looking to live a healthy, happy, and whole life. We have a direct primary care service where you can pay $70 a month to have all access to meet your physician, have discounted labs, and imaging if needed. So you'd pay the $70 a month, no matter if you're insured, underinsured, or have no insurance at all. Call us at 205-202-5650 or go ahead on the roll today at www.brownstonehealthcare.com.